You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo in studio today. We've got a lot of tech to talk, some interesting stories. Sports tech and specifically uh, analytics around tennis. We've uh, got a guest on to talk about uh, the Rogers Cup and how they're using tech there to monitor uh, everything and give statistics to fans and coaches and players. We'll also uh, be talking about the big HBO hacking crisis going on down in the U.S. right now. Hackers have gotten in and uh, spread HBO's Game of Thrones scripts and even episodes uh, out onto the internet. What can be done to stop that? And what can you do as a business or even a home user to protect yourself? And uh, probably my favorite uh, segment coming up here, we've uh, uh, got uh, a contributor out of New York who's uh, written an article on how to... uh, Free the nipple on Instagram and not get banned. Uh, I think this is an important topic that we need to talk about, Graham. I, I think so too. I mean, my Instagram feed would probably be a whole lot better if more things were free. So stay tuned for that. I've got Graham Williams in uh, studio with me, uh, my guest co-host. A uh, lot of uh, tech news this uh, week, uh, Graham. I don't even know where to start. Uh, YouTube is adding mobile chat because we need another messaging app. This is the one thing that I've found with Google is if they can find a way to shoehorn chat into something, they will. Uh, so YouTube now has actually got this whole, it's, it's not even a, a sharing feature. This is a full-fledged messaging feature inside YouTube. Why? Don't, can't you just, isn't the comment section good enough for that? I, well, I mean, you've probably read uh, YouTube comments and they make me despair for humanity. But <laughs> I, I think this is really, this is YouTube's way of tackling Facebook Messenger because Facebook Messenger has exploded over the course of the last two or three years. So YouTube wants to fight back or Google wants to fight back. And I think this is probably the quickest and easiest way that they've got one of the largest communities on the planet in YouTube. So being able to let people talk through that uh, that app is probably the only way that they could take Facebook Messenger on at this point. Can they though, you look at Facebook and they just own the world now when it comes to messaging and social. They've got Facebook Messenger, I think it's over a billion users. They've got WhatsApp because they bought that. That's over a billion users uh, as well. Uh, They've got Instagram. People are chatting through that. Can Google even catch up? No. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're on YouTube, uh, look out another chat uh, app built into it. Uh, Tile, uh, this is an interesting technology. We've covered it on our TV show before, uh, Graham. Uh, These are little uh, trackers, uh, little square trackers, about uh, a little bit bigger than uh, a postage stamp uh, that you can put on valuable stuff or invaluable stuff and allow you to track that using your iPhone, for example. I I absolutely love Tile. I've actually got it on a few things. I've got it on my wallet. I've got it on my keys because I perpetually forget everything everywhere. And so this, uh, this, this little thing has been super helpful for me. You have to replace them, I think it's like about every two years or so. Uh, but uh, they're, they're actually inexpensive enough so that you can you know, pick them up, uh, add one to your keys and, and do that. The big thing, though, has been um, range on them. And so that's one of the things that they've improved here. They've doubled the range. So what, what is the range now? Um, double. <laughs> um, the, the way that this works, though, is that if people have the app and they have tile, basically um, they're almost acting like, uh, like beacons for you. So if, if your tile product passes them, it kind of registers where that is in the network. So if somebody basically takes your wallet or your or your your bike, or if you've left your phone somewhere or your keys somewhere, if someone who uses Tile is nearby, they're able to find it that way. So doubling the range, I, I couldn't tell you the exact range. On I it, think it's 100, uh, it's gone from 100 to 200 feet now. 200 feet. So that's, that's I mean. That's excellent. That's great. But uh, it, this is all Bluetooth, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so once it gets out of that range, it's gone. Yeah. And I mean, and the hope there is that everyone has their, I mean, you got your Bluetooth on right now, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah. So you know, hopefully that's sort of the thing. 
I'm starting to see that tile technology built into other things outside of tile itself. Uh, I know um, uh, I love products from a company called uh, Nomad at hellonomad.com out of California. They make cases and uh, charging cables and really cool stuff for iPhones and, uh, you know, Apple Watches. They've got a new battery that has tile built into it. So if you lose your battery, you can track it. And uh, the best thing about this is with stuff like that, the more of these tiles that are out there, the more people are using it, the more effective it's going to be. So really glad to see that. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about smart home technology. Uh, as far as lighting is concerned, the leader out there right now would probably have to be Philips and their Philips Hue light bulbs. These are smart light bulbs you can buy from, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of different stores. And uh, you can control them with your smartphone. And now, uh, you know, with a lot of these smart speakers like, uh, you know, Amazon Echo, uh, Google Home here in Canada, IKEA is starting to get into the smart light bulb uh, market as well. Yes, they are. They've actually brought out a brand new smart light bulb, which they actually demoed over in Europe uh, to start out with. And they brought it over to North America. And the best thing about it is probably the price. These things go for about 18 bucks US, so probably about 25 bucks Canadian when we get it here. For one bulb. For one bulb. That, which, seems, that seems so expensive. But, but does it? I mean, because the question is, we look at, you know, compacts, fluorescent light bulbs, and they they, they last, you know, eight to 10 years and whatnot. And we've got used to paying about 11 bucks for them. So would you pay double for a light bulb that one, you can remotely control and two, you can also dim, which means that it would cut your power costs as well, as long as it lasts the same amount of time. I think that's a pretty cool feature. I, I think the cool thing about this, uh, you know, especially a lot of these uh, connected light bulbs now is that they're making them compatible with a lot of the different standards out there. So it's going to be compatible, including these IKEA ones, uh, with uh, Apple's standard, which is called HomeKit. Uh, they'll also work with, uh, you know, the Amazon Echo, uh, which still isn't available in Canada, but one day will be, <laughs> and also Google Home. Yeah, and I mean, I've got a HomeKit system at home where I'm using some Lutron dimmers around the place, and there are a few spots where I didn't put those dimmers in, because they're about 65 bucks a pop. So being able to just put a light bulb in and have that be part of my whole HomeKit system, one sort of unified control, that's a, that's a really nice feature for me. Uh, interesting article uh, that I came across here, uh, I think from gadgets.ndtv.com, uh, that says Apple's App Store has a big problem that no one is talking about. So this actually relates to the size of the apps on your phone. So if you've got a, an iPhone out there, you know, you probably, I think the big thing there for a while was the, the 16 gigabyte iPhone and people were complaining that that was way too small for people. So Apple bumped it up to 32 in the last, uh, the last revision. But uh, as apps are getting bigger and bigger, that 32 gigabytes doesn't go quite as far as it used to be. And we're seeing that some apps are way bigger on the iOS uh, system than they are on Android. And is this true? It is, yeah. So you take a look. Uh, I mean, Facebook, I think, is coming in somewhere around, was it 200 to 300 megabytes right now? Yeah. And it's about, what, 60 megabytes on uh, on Android? I think 70. 70? Say, yeah. yeah. So basically, you know, crazy. over double the size, which when you think about it, I mean, you've got, uh, you've got a lot of assets in there, but uh, Apple has actually gone through something called app thinning, where basically if you have an iPhone, it doesn't download the iPad assets, which means that altogether these apps, if you take in you know, Apple Watch, iPhone, iPod, iPad, uh, the, the actual app itself is probably massive and app thinning is getting it down to 200 megabytes, which is still more than twice as big as it is on Android. It's a bit of a problem. So what happens on Android? So they're talking about uh, Apple apps. Typically they put all the code in there so it'll run on all the devices, tablets and phones. Uh, they're not doing that on Android then. That's right. But I mean, you're only downloading as much as your as your device needs with, with app thinning. The challenge here right now, though, is the way that app developers are writing things because they're trying to get things out as quickly as possible, especially on the Apple uh, iOS system. So they're, they're reusing code that has been written for other apps. They're downloading things from GitHub. 
So they're not necessarily optimizing their code. So the sort of speed to market is causing app bloat. And I think it's something that Apple is going to have to address soon. Uh, jumping back to Ikea, uh, from uh, smart light bulbs to solar panels. Uh, you know, we talked uh, on the show about Tesla with their solar roof uh, tiles that are going to be available uh, in the coming year here in Canada. Uh, so, and apparently coming in in the same rough price range as current uh, roof uh, materials. IKEA is getting into the, the business as well. Yeah, and so, I mean, they, they brought out some, uh, some solar panels, they brought out some battery packs. Uh, the, the real challenge here is, uh, do you have to assemble them yourself? <laughs> what could go wrong? Right? <laughs> could you imagine assembling an IKEA solar roof? Just, oh uh, my God. It's okay oh though. It, it's flat packed, so it's fine, right? It's, <laughs> it's saving us some money across the board. Uh, so IKEA says around 60% of the energy generated by these panels uh, will be returned to the grid instead of being used by the households uh, if uh, the property is unoccupied during the uh, day. But uh, by saving energy in the batteries for use at night, it says bills can be cut by up to 70%. Which is exciting. I mean, at this point, would you invest in a technology that is going to, one, cut your energy usage and maybe cut your, uh, your ecological footprint, but also save you money? It seems kind of like a win-win here. Yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm still wondering about the costs. You know, I, I read the initial Tesla announcements with their solar roof and they're saying, you know, the, uh, the cost per tile is, uh, you know, cheaper than everything else out there. But then I'm you know, reading these other, other articles now that are saying that um, they're going to be more expensive. Yeah, and I mean, the, the way that Tesla's kind of pitched it is it's the quote unquote same cost as other roofs, but they're actually comparing it to high end roofing tiles, which... You know, I think is is respectable. They, apparently, the Tesla tiles are very, very durable. It'd be yeah, interesting. They have, to they have see, a lifetime warranty. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the IKEA tiles or the IKEA panels. How durable are they? But I mean, if the cost is low enough, sooner or later, you know, if you are committed to having a lower eco footprint, sometimes you just you have to take a risk and you have to put it out there and and say, you know what, I'm going to actually spend a little more to do something that's better for the planet. We have uh, a lot more tech to talk here on Get Connected. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo. Got Graham Williams here with me today as my guest co-host. Later on in the program, we'll be talking uh, sports tech at the Rogers Open, uh, the big tennis tournament going on in uh, Toronto and Montreal. Uh, and also uh, about the HBO hacks. Uh, if you've read this in the news, uh, HBO has been hacked. Uh, Game of Thrones, their most popular series, scripts have been leaked out onto the internet. One of the episodes was also leaked out uh, uh, a couple weeks uh, ago. Uh, you know, what does this mean for the entertainment industry? Can they secure their content? And what does it mean for regular people and, and businesses as well? So we'll uh, get the lowdown uh, on that from uh, our friend Howard Solomon. And uh, a fun free the nipple on Instagram and not get banned segment. Yes, I know you're dying to, to hear that one. So stay tuned. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. We've got uh, a lot of tech to talk still, including App of the Week later on in the program. And uh, a racy subject. Uh, we've got uh, our contributor, Bettina, from uh, New York, uh, who's written an article, 13 tips on how to free the nipple on Instagram and not get banned. You'll want to stay tuned for that. It's, uh, it's pretty fun stuff. On the line now, I uh, want to talk uh, about hacking, the recent ransom demand for $6 million after the hack of Cable's HBO network and the theft of data, including several scripts for upcoming episodes of Game of Thrones, has raised a number of questions. Why an entertainment company and got hacked and how was the attack done? 
On the line right now, we've got uh, our friend Howard Solomon. He's a contributing writer on cybersecurity to ITWorldCanada.com, a business technology website. Thanks for joining us today, Howard. Hi, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, we're seeing more and more of this. Uh, all these companies getting hacked, a lot of entertainment companies getting hacked now. And uh, what, what's going on? Well, first, there's many reasons why companies and individuals get attacked. Uh, money publicity, or uh, they want to destroy a victim's computer system. Uh, in this case, HBO hasn't released a lot of information, but we do know from news sources that it's received a demand for about $6 million to stop any further release of data. Now, sometimes with ransoms like this, the attacker has scrambled or encrypted the company's data, and they promise to unscramble the data if the money is paid, um, in this case, it appears to be strictly blackmail. Why do you think HBO? Well, HBO, uh, uh, first of all, let me, let me say this. In some ways, the cyber attack may be no different than attack on uh, any other big company. Uh, it has big money. Uh, in the case of HBO, the attacker may think the broadcaster might feel squeezed to pay up uh, or else timely scripts will be made public. And, of course, big companies often have entertaining emails that the public wants to read. It's kind of interesting. Game of Thrones right now is probably one of the, the biggest uh, shows out there, uh, you know, as far as uh, TV and cable uh, right now. So, obviously, uh, uh, you know, a big target. Uh, there was a big hack of Sony back in 2014, uh, which was crazy. All the emails that were released, uh, a lot of embarrassing emails. Haven't the entertainment companies learned a lesson on protecting their data? Um, some are, and uh, some are, are doing it better than others. But I just talked to a security expert who was in Hollywood early in June, speaking to an entertainment uh, uh, industry uh, executive meeting, um, and he found that most of them at the meeting still expect that cybersecurity is in the hands of the IT departments. Well, it shouldn't be. Cybersecurity has to be understood and the policies set by the uh, chief executive and the board. The other thing is, if an attacker is determined and, he, and has the time, any company can be breached. All an employee has to do is make a mistake, either opening an email attachment or, if, uh, if they're a technician, to misconfigure a, a piece of hardware or software. I mean, there's literally thousands of employees in these companies, so there's, there's thousands of uh, ways that these hackers can get in. Um, there's a lot of ways. Um, uh, one of the prime ways is email, uh, and emails uh, that can be very carefully crafted so that it's sent to someone in the finance department, for example, and it looks like it's come from the CEO. And uh, they, there's an attachment, and it looks like the CEO is saying, here's something I'd like you to read. They accidentally click on it, and there's malware, and that starts the infection into the company. What, you know, I, I look at these big companies, HBO and Sony, you know, and, and they can be hacked. Uh, you know, what kind of lessons can Canadian small businesses and even those at home learn from this? Well, first of all, never pay a ransom. 
It just encourages criminals, and there's no guarantee the blackmail or the attacks will stop. Second, you need to back up your data and keep it in a way that can't be infected. For a business, that may mean consulting with experts on how to safely back up. For consumers, it means having a portable hard drive that's not linked full-time to your computer to back up your letters and pictures and such. And, and you back up, say, once a week. Third, update and patch all of your software regularly to plug vulnerabilities that malware can take advantage of. Fourth, as I said earlier, email is a prime way criminals attack. So read your mail slowly. Don't be quick to open every attachment someone sends you. Remember, it's not hard for an attacker to impersonate somebody you know. And finally, everyone has to be aware of safe practices, including uh, when you're on the web, not going to risky or uh, racy websites where the uh, risk of infection is great. Uh, Mike, the federal government has a very good resource page called Get Cyber Safe, which is www.getcybersafe.gc.ca, and that's a good place for your listeners to start. We're talking with uh, our friend Howard Solomon. He's uh, over at uh, uh, IT Worlds Canada. Uh, great website for all your uh, tech news uh, for business. Uh, do you think they'll ever catch these HBO hackers? It's not easy. It's not easy. There, there have been some recent arrests, um, but I, um, I wouldn't want to bet any money on it. Did they ever catch the Sony hackers? Um, no, the, uh, the the suspicion among most people is that uh, that hack was done by the uh, North Korean government. Um, some still think that it was a uh, done by a Sony insider. Uh, there's there's some evidence uh, 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 both ways. We might never find out uh, again. Thanks for joining us, Howard. Sure. When we come back from the break, how to free the nipple on Instagram and not get banned. I know you're dying to hear this segment, so stay tuned. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio today. We've got a lot of tech to talk coming up still. On the line right now, we've uh, got our contributor, Bettina Mangiorosina out of uh, New York. Uh, she writes for a number of uh, websites, including gadgethacks.com. And uh, the next topic here, a little racy. Thanks for joining us, Bettina. Of course. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, so this was kind of a a weird topic. Uh, 13 ways to free the nipple on Instagram and not get banned. So number one, uh, why why would you want to free the nipple on Instagram? And is this a big problem, people getting banned for doing this? It is actually a big problem. Um, it's something like a lot of celebrities have gone on board with it. Miley Cyrus, uh, Chrissy Teigen, they have posted racy photos, maybe just like a photo of a see-through shirt or something, you know, something from Maxim, and they get banned. Um, there is one infamous uh, Rihanna's account got completely shut down after she posted a shot of a nipple. And what's really kind of unfair about it all is that Men, like if you're male, you can post a shot of your nipple. But if you're female, it's considered just way too explicit. Um, so this is, it's 
there's a whole movement. Movement. There's at Free the Nipple. You can also find hashtags Free the Nipple Movement. Um, and it's a really big thing. And Instagram is not very clear about what you can and cannot post. So a lot of people find that their photos are removed or their accounts are completely shut down without any way to recover them. Um, and Instagram has not really said like what you can do and what you cannot do. So I just want to bring awareness to this and let people know like these. This is how far you can push it before you get banned. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening right now are, are probably think, thinking this is a little crazy, but how, how would they even find these photos? Like, how many photos are being up, uploaded to Instagram on a daily basis? It must be millions. Do they have, like, oh, a, a software nipple detector or something, or, or people reporting these photos? No, a lot of it is um, someone will come across your picture, whether it be through hashtags. That's usually how it happens. And they'll report you. Um, and then Instagram will review it and they'll decide whether or not the report is legitimate or not. And another way is also through hashtags. So if you hashtag something like free the nipple or nudes or nipples, Instagram is probably going to see it and then they'll <laughs> report you or shut you down. Well, obviously you feel very strongly about this. Uh, what are you've, you're, you're actually written an article that's going to be coming out soon uh, and you've got a bunch of tips uh, on how to get past the Instagram censors. Uh, maybe you can share yeah. some of those with our, our listeners? Sure. I can share uh, three of them, my top three. Uh, number one is to go genderless. So there's an Instagram account. It's called Genderless Nipples. And if you post a really close-up shot of your nipple, you can't tell whether that person is male or female, and that is allowed on Instagram. The second tip I have is to create a Finsta account. A Finsta account is a combination of the word fake and Instagram. So you have Finsta. And I would recommend just creating this account. Um, You're not supposed to add any of your parents or your bosses. It's supposed to be completely private. And you can just kind of post photos that are for your eyes only and maybe a select few people. And my third uh, tip would be to get creative. So a lot of people, they take the Free the Nipple movement to the next level. And they post shots of themselves with like cooked eggs and overlay it on their breasts or they use things like fidget spinners and they just like take a shot and replace your nipple with a fidget spinner. <laughs> you can really get creative. Yeah, it's just insane. You can use rose petals. You can use black tape in the shape of an X. It's really anything goes. Um, so those would be my top three tricks. So this is a real, like there's a lot of people upset about this on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, you have even accounts like, uh, there's this one account, it's called the Empowered Birth Project, and they'll do a lot of things of just like home births and delivery, and they'll face like a lot of, um, you know, like Instagram will get on them for some of their photos. So they'll have women breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is allowed on Instagram, um, but it's really, the line is really very thin, so you never know what is going to be passed and what's going to be reported. Facebook owns Instagram. Is this a problem on Facebook as well? Do they have the same type of standards? Yeah, it is. Um, for, the main thing with Instagram is that they want to um, maintain their 12-plus uh, rating on the App Store. So if they would allow female nipples, then they couldn't include younger users, and that would shut out like a large portion of their population. So for them to keep that rating on the App Store, they have to ban female nipples. We're talking with uh, our friend Bettina Mangiuracina. She's uh, written an article uh, on how to uh, uh, 
uh, or tips on how to uh, free the nipple on Instagram. Uh, 13 Ways Not to Get uh, Banned. Uh, article coming out soon. We'll stay tuned for that. Bettina, as always, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, what are some of the websites you write for again? Gadgethacks.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at b3t.tina. Thanks, Bettina. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. When we come back from the break, a lot more tech to talk. Stay tuned, including App of the Week coming up shortly. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo in studio. Today, we still have a lot more tech to talk, including coming up in a bit here, App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Don't forget to uh, tune in to our new show, The App Show. Happens every Sunday here on CKNW AM 980 in Vancouver and broadcasts across the Chorus Radio Network. I know uh, Calgary QR 77 is also uh, airing it as well. So check with your radio station to see if uh, they have it. If they don't, request it. Again, uh, App Show... Every Sunday, 10 a.m., Vancouver time. Right now, though, we want to talk uh, tech in sports. We've got uh, our friend uh, Alex Radu. He's from IT World Canada and Computer Dealer News as well, uh, journalist there. And he's at the Rogers Cup. And uh, thanks for joining us, Alex. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for having me. I want to talk about uh, technology and just kind of analytics now and how that's such an important thing in sports. And now it's kind of infiltrating down into tennis as well. Yeah, so that's what's kind of really interesting about this whole event today. Uh, Tennis Canada, they put on a tech and tennis day today at the Rogers Cup, which is in Toronto. The women are here playing this year, and next year they'll be having the men coming here who are currently in uh, Montreal. And basically what they're talking about, how even in tennis, analytics are such an important part of the game now, and the game is over a century old. So they're showing off about that and and the security about that as well. So you had had speakers from Salesforce, uh, the Hergevic Group, all sorts of people here promoting analytics in sports and showing how that's an important thing in business as well. So what kind of analytics are we talking for tennis, and why do we care? So fans care, and you would also care, and athletes care, because you can now see, you've always been able to track the, you know, the, the speed of an ace or a serve just based off of you know, using uh, speed cameras and stuff like that. But now you can actually see, well, what's the strength that a player is using? What's the speed that they're moving from court to court? You can see all these tiny, tiny, like, little stats that really enhance the game. And it's happening in every sport. But here in tennis, it's making it really something that no one's really ever thought of. It's such a sport that's so tied in its old ways. You know, at Wimbledon, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, they only just added ceiling lights this year. So it's, it's very behind in the time. So all, even these tiny stats, which might make sense to everybody now, they're kind of you know, just slowly getting involved with tennis. You talked about the security aspect. What, what kind of security would be necessary for this, and what, what are the dangers? Well, so basically right now as they're talking about, so Tennis Canada has been working hard to, uh, to uh, set the Aviva Center, which is here in Toronto, and this is where the Rogers Cup is going. They just recently fitted it all with Wi-Fi. So with all of that comes the technology and the security risks that every business face, faces. They can be breached. There's all sorts of, you know, there's Rogers is here shooting it. It's on every channel in Canada and across the world. You have people all over the world listening and watching. So you need security to take care of all these data points that are now coming out. You have uh, people who are, you know, gathering 80,000 data points from some of these sports events and if those are just out there then that's you know it's the same type of security concerns that every business has 
it's just now tennis uh, tennis fans and tennis players and tennis trainers and arenas are having those concerns now too because now they're having that technology. You said there's Wi-Fi at the event available. Yeah, so this is actually one of the first times there's Wi-Fi in the Aviva Center, which is such an interesting concept that this is something that's old. So it is very interesting that now we have Wi-Fi here in this tennis event, and uh, it's actually leading the pack when it comes to tennis events in general. At some of these huge, uh, these huge games and Grand Slams and tournaments, they don't have Wi-Fi. So if you're there, you're kind of out of luck if you don't want to use the data. Is that, um, is that a benefit for them from a promotional aspect? People will be able to get on social media and share what they're doing? Yeah, so and social media is a very important part. There are a lot of really interesting indexes out there that are talking about uh, the actual financial value these athletes bring towards brands. For instance, the NBA is worth $5.1 billion in their social media value. So now tennis is trying to take advantage of that, too, because you're even just seeing the logo, an Adidas logo on a player for 10 minutes to an hour every game. That brings such a huge financial value to it. And having Wi-Fi is able to then promote more social media. You have more people tweeting at the game, et cetera. It's interesting, you know, there's Wi-Fi at this particular event, but, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of Wi-Fi at, in, in most, uh, you know, major sporting events uh, in these large stadiums. I know, like, the NFL down in the U.S., they're trying to get more of the stadiums with Wi-Fi, but there's a lot that has to go behind that to make that happen for, like, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people. Yeah, it's all in the infrastructure of the stadium. The infrastructure can get very complicated and can get very difficult for people to 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 really even just get Wi-Fi installed at the beginning. Because if you don't have that infrastructure in the base, some of the problem is with some of these stadiums, they're historical uh, stadiums. Like Wimbledon, is you, they physically can't add some of that infrastructure because it's considered a historical site. So it is very interesting that now you're able to start seeing places like this lead the pack in Canada, and that's so big for Tennis Canada as it tries to continue to grow. What do you think the future is of having uh, you know these analytics and, and more tech in, in sports like tennis? So I think when it comes to tennis, right now it's such a young game. And Canada specifically, you have a lot of really young guys and girls coming up. And they've grown up with technology. They want to see every stat that they can possibly get about their persons. And as fans, we want to see every stat about them as well. So it's only going to perhaps save the sport. Because tennis has always been a very difficult sport to promote, to get new fans. But being able to show these new exciting visuals, I think, is really going to do well for tennis in the future. Alex, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We are talking with Alex Radu. He is uh, a writer over at IT World Canada, a great website uh, for all your uh, tech news uh, and uh, also computer dealer news. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. When we come back, a lot more tech to talk still, including App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Today I've got um, my guest co-host, Graham Williams, uh, and also Christina Stoyanova on standby for App of the Week. Before we get there, uh, Graham, I just wanted to talk uh, a couple more stories uh, that uh, I came across. There's so much tech news this week. Uh, Consumer Reports has stopped recommending Microsoft Surface PCs over reliability concerns. Uh, and, you know, if you've had a chance to try these, uh, uh, I guess they're two-in-one laptops slash tablets, they are amazing and they're beautiful. 
but now Consumer Reports has some issues. I'm taking this one with a grain of salt. I mean, I've actually used a number of the Surface PCs, and I think they're, as far as a Windows computer goes, they're probably the thing that I would choose if I was going to buy one. I'm also looking at Consumer Reports, and this is the same group that had some problems with Apple's battery life when they launched the uh, the MacBook Pro 2017, which actually turned out to be something in their testing process that wasn't quite, quite right. So I'm I'm a little tentative on Consumer Reports right now. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a question for me. Well, we'll have to see how that all uh, plays out and how Microsoft uh, responds to that. Uh, another story here, Graham, uh, video games may affect the brain differently depending on what you play. I think I read the story earlier, but I can't remember anything about it. I was busy playing <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> and so these are the, uh, the first person. These are these shooting games that we see. Uh, Call of Duty. Um, God, there's so many of them now. Yeah, um, Destiny 2 actually coming out fairly soon, which is something that I'm excited about. But uh, what they've said here is that they've interviewed a number of people and have found that there is shrinkage of the hippocampus. So this is a this is a correlation. It's not necessarily causation, but they are looking to sort of link them uh, in this study. And so, I mean, that could be worrying as a, as a video game player. I mean, if you still have enough brain matter to care. Your brain is shrinking every day, Graham. I'm good with it. <laughs> I don't know if you have much hope uh, left. Well, you know what? We're going to switch gears now, and uh, we're going to go to App of the Week. We've got Christina in studio. How are you doing, Christina? Doing well, Mike. Thanks. What do you got for us? I have the Smithsonian Eclipse app. Well, that big eclipse is coming up. So what, what does this app do? How does it help? Uh, it helps in a lot of ways, actually. If you are lucky enough to be traveling to a part of the United States where you can actually see the full eclipse, you can also watch... Um, views of the sun from space so you can actually see what's happening on the sun while you're watching it happen on earth which is really cool um if you are not traveling there you can actually see live streams from any point in the world um so nasa live streams of the eclipse across the states Every time I've ever wanted to see an eclipse, uh, you know, over the years, it always ends up being cloudy. So I never get to see anything. But uh, this this particular eclipse is a big deal. It's not going to be uh, as visible in Canada, though, is it? No, it's not. And that's why I'm saying if you can't travel to a place where you can see the full show, you can actually see it on this app, which is really cool. And is this available on both uh, iOS uh, and Android? It is available on both. Um, there are some extra features as well, like, uh, you know, safety guidelines for viewing the eclipse if you are traveling somewhere where you can see it, because, of course, you don't want to damage your eyes or anything like that while you're viewing it. So don't look directly at the sun. <laughs> great <laughs> advice right there. Words to live by. <laughs> you, you heard it here on Get Connected. <laughs> don't look at the sun directly. I know people, uh, you know, uh, one of the, uh, the gals in our office uh, going down uh, to Oregon to see this. Yes, exactly. If you're lucky enough to do it, it's. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing show. And this app will make it that much better. It will make it that much better. But don't forget your uh, solar eclipse glasses. She ordered some on Amazon weeks ago. Fantastic. Smith, the Smithsonian uh, Eclipse app. That's right. Available on both iOS and Android for free. Talking about apps, I encourage you to tune in tomorrow uh, and listen to our new show, The App Show. Uh, I've got uh, Graham and Christina uh, they are uh, the hosts and uh, also uh, the producers behind it. And we've uh, got some pretty cool stuff. What, what do we have up tomorrow, Christina? 
Uh, we have a an interesting story about Disney and what's uh, happening with its movies on Netflix. So definitely want to tune in for that. And we have the five hot weather apps. Um, if you like to... The hot weather apps, not the cold. <laughs> <laughs> the hot apps to get your okay, weather but news. How many, how many, okay, but how many weather apps do you really need? Well, you don't need all five. But this gives you all of the options and uh, we'll give you a little bit of a synopsis on each one of them. I feel bad. I've actually got all five downloaded. So, well, so do I, but I was testing them. You're just strange. Weather (laughs) Weather is cool. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, But, you know, that's that'll be interesting. Uh, You know, some of these weather apps have some kind of unique features. Uh, I am really interested in that uh, story. We've got a guest on from Open Media talking about uh, you know, all the different streaming apps and, uh, you know, how much that's costing us now uh, compared to uh, our cable bills. Because now when you want to cut the cord, so to speak, and just have a streaming app like Netflix, you're not getting all the shows that are out there. You have to have multiple subscriptions like to Amazon and Crave TV. And now Disney wants to start their own uh, app and CBS is starting their own app. So, you know, when you look at all the different uh, streaming apps that you have to subscribe to to get all the content you want, Cable's starting to look pretty good. So we're really going to dive deep into that and kind of understand what it all means and and what it means for the future as well. So all the time we have left for today on Get Connected. I want to thank uh, Graham Williams and also Christina Stoyanova for joining me in studio. We'll see you again next time.